Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithful testimony that eternal life is through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we just pray that, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear what your Word has to say, Father. Uh, May you be blessed in our service today. Uh, May you be given the glory and honor that is due you. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever been asked to give a a testimonial uh, regarding a product or a person? Or have you ever been asked to share your personal testimony concerning your belief in God? Probably most of you at least have had that opportunity. Uh, So what a person has experienced in, in, uh, or uh, what they have believed in, in regards as to what truth is to them will determine one's idea as to both the, their conscious and their conduct. So what you, what you say is your testimony, that testimony, whether it's for a person or a product or a, a religious conviction, that testimony con- uh, determines what your, where your conscious is going to go and what your conduct is going to be. If, if that is your testimony of life, if, if that is your, uh, well, you know, we ask, we ask pastors sometimes when they apply to, to be at a church, we want them to give a, a, a philosophy of ministry. That philosophy of ministry is to guide them into whatever direction they feel that they need to go. And, and, and where they get the, uh, the, the wisdom, philosophy is a, the love of wisdom. Uh, where, what wisdom do they glean from in order to do what they do? And so there is a testimonial offered there as to this I'm going to conduct myself. This is where my conscience leads me because of my trust in God. And this is what my conduct leads me because of that same trust in God. What a person has experienced, what they believe in regards to truth, is, determines what they're going to do. So a person may say all sorts of things as to who and what God is or has done for them. But the real question is this. What testimony does God give in regard to what His Word teaches concerning truth? We may give all kinds of testimonies or testimonials in regards to whatever in our lives. But, but the real question is this. What testimony does God give concerning His truth? Is, is His word of testimony valid for us today? You know, there are many who, uh, uh, because we say that we believe what God has said in His book, well, I, would, I would offer this to you. There are, there are many, probably most people, would say that, that this book is, in many places is irrelevant. I was just thinking today, as I was preparing to come to church today, that, uh, that, that our position on certain things uh, concerning particular sins in Scripture uh, would not be validated by cultural beliefs today. That, that the testimony of many people today in regard to what the Bible has to say, uh, their testimony would be that the Bible is, ir- is irrelevant. It is outdated. And at best, at best, it would be tertiary to them, be like third place. So the testimony of Scripture to many people means nothing. 
But it should mean something to you. What testimony does God give concerning His own Word? If we say that His Word is truth, then that truth is to be a faithful witness in reference to what we believe. This morning, I would like to share four specific points found in this text that I just read. And, and I, I, I talked to David yesterday, and I told him, I said, I said, David, my sermon is so long that if I were to preach the whole thing, it would be a minimum of 50 minutes. So I've, I've cut about three or four minutes out. So bear with me. If you just fall asleep, uh, we'll have deacons come by to wake you up. No. Just please bear with me. But four, four specific points found in our text regarding testimony, a, a faithful testimony. So, so let's get on to our first point. A faithful testimony leads us to love and obedience. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. But notice especially verse 2. Verse 2 says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Listen, when, we know we love God's people when we love God and observe His commandments. You all see that? It is, it, it is a, a faithful testimony. When you say that I love God, then followed up with, with saying that I love God means that you're going to love others and you're going to be faithful to observe His commandments. So as we looked at the idea of love over the past couple of weeks, we find it here again in this verse. John begins by saying, by this we know. So here then what he is saying, a genuine love for God will produce obedience in our lives. We are told that we are to love our brothers and sisters of, of the church we're to love one another, and that we are to keep or we're to observe God's commandments. But if you read it, it says we're to observe God's commandments, it, it doesn't say what those commandments are, does it? It just says we're to observe His commandments. So what are His commandments? Are we to go through the Old Testament and say there are 613 Old Testament laws that we need to observe? Is that what, God, is that what God's wanting us to do, that we're going to go back and we're going to start we're going to build an altar up here. We're going to start offering sheep and lambs and goats and bulls. I mean, that's part of his command, isn't it? Are we going to go out every year and, and pitch, and pitch a, a thatched roof tent of some, t of some type and, uh, and, and live out there to, uh, to uh, celebrate the Feast of Booths? What, what are God's commands that we are supposed to follow? Listen. God's commandments are the very words that we call Scripture. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, all, listen, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. There is a divine origin and authority of Scripture. When we read that the Word of God leads us to righteousness, it means that it addresses those things that conform to the revealed will of God. In short, the Bible is God's Word that infallibly promotes His will. When we deviate from His Word, then what is the result? So you're going to say, well, Pastor, are we to do all these Old Testament things? 
But guess what? Let me ask you a question. Could the Jewish community do them two and three and four thousand years ago? They couldn't do them. You know why? Because God's law lends itself to what? To perfection. So we know that we're going to fall short in it. So did God just invalidate the Old Testament law? Not one bit. Was the Old Testament law fulfilled? Yes, it was. And who was it fulfilled by? Jesus Christ, wasn't it? Jesus Christ completely fulfilled the Old Testament law. Everything that God required, Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament. But here, here's the thing. Because Christ, because Christ fulfilled all that God commanded and demanded in His law, and He did it according to God's standards, not man's standard. We, 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 we tend to want to introduce our standard into God's laws, but you can't do that. But Jesus fulfilled all that God commanded. And not only that, but because Christ is the full revelation of God. What you have in Jesus Christ is here's a person that fulfills all the Old Testament requirements. And now he says this, if you would put your trust into him, all, all that he has fulfilled, all that righteousness then is imputed or reckoned or counted to you. What a gift. Otherwise, we would still be doing that stuff. What a gift. So Christ fulfilled it for us. But, but let's go on. What would be the result if we deviate from God's law? In, in, in Psalm 119 and verse 11, we read these. Your word, your word have I treasured or hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Correct? Your word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. So here is blatantly obvious that the more the Scripture decreases, the more we invalidate the authority, infallibility of Scripture, the more we do that, the more sin intensifies. It's just like in society today. The more, the more we decrease the validity of civil law, the more sin intensifies. Have you not found that to be true? Absolutely it's true. If you don't believe it, turn on the news and you go home. The more we invalidate law, the more sin, rioting and looting and so on and so forth, more that intensifies. Same thing's true in Scripture. So my question is this. How valid is, how valid is the teaching of Scripture to you? When Jesus says, when Jesus says, New Testament command to us, to make disciples, do we make disciples? When Jesus says, baptize, do we baptize? When he says, observe all that I commanded you, do we do as Jesus commands us? A faithful testimony has for its content a love for God, for his church, and a principled desire to follow his teachings as given to us in his word. The second point is this. A faithful testimony allows us to overcome, verses 4 and 5. Verse 5 says this, The one who overcomes believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The person who overcomes is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. My friends, it's not some universal or worldly, worldly force that causes us to overcome whatever foe we are facing. 
Listen, according to the Scriptures, it is the new birth that makes us to overcome. The reason that you are able to overcome is because you have been born again into Jesus Christ. And how does that new birth occur? The new birth occurs, or what is commonly called getting saved, occurs when you come to placing your trust into Jesus Christ. Then and only then, you are taken out of Satan's domain. I, I know People don't usually agree with this, or at least because, again, the Bible's ir- just irrelevant, isn't it? It's old-fashioned. It's obsolete. It's tertiary. So because it has little or no meaning, people don't believe that they are in Satan's domain. But I will tell you by the authority of God's Word, which is the infallible Word of God, is it not? That people who are without Christ are, are, under, are under, or rather live in the domain or, and are under the influence of Satan. Their mind, will, and emotions, they're still active. But that activity, the mind, will, and emotions are only in agreement with the domain of Satan. His domain is this atmosphere all around us. Satan, God says, where have you been? And what does Satan say? I have been running to and fro on this earth. Peter says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus says that the thief, that is Satan, seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. But uh, that's just irrelevant. Friend, if you are without Christ today, by the authority of God's Word, I will tell you right now that you are under the influence and the control, and you live in the domain, and you're held captive to Satan. Not because I said so, but because Scripture says so. And if you want the verse, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 1, 2, and 3. We are by nature children of disobedience, by nature. When you come to Christ, you're taken out of Satan's domain and you're transferred into a kingdom that is God's kingdom, Colossians 1.13. Would you think that even for just even a second, even a second, that Satan may be concerned for your spiritual well-being? I don't think he's concerned at all. He seeks to kill, to destroy, to bring death to your life. Friends, we are engaged in a battle, a battle that has as our foes the world, the flesh, and the devil. These oppose us, surround us, seek to destroy us, and attempt to pollute the very, the, the, the very testimony as to how God has saved you. He wants to make your life shipwrecked. But the Bible says, why you've overcome is because you've been made new creatures in Jesus Christ. We stand our ground against our foe with but one weapon. You have but one weapon that is able to cause us to overcome. That weapon is the faithful weapon of a testimony that's founded upon the Word of God. Ephesians 6.17 says, and take 
the sword of the Spirit. Listen, take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. That testimony of the Word of God, the infallible, inerrant, God-breathed, God-inspired, the Greek word is the theopnotos, that God-breathed Word. Listen, that is your weapon. That is your sword. You take it with you wherever you go. And you're to take that weapon, that sword, and you are to hide it in your heart. It is to be a part of you. You don't leave it at home. Don't set it on the coffee table, but put it in your heart and put it in your mind. It is your sword. It is your weapon that you stand against Satan with. The testimony of his word. It is the short testimony of God's word that was in Peter's response to Christ when our Lord asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And do you recall Peter's answer? In Matthew 16, 16, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, folks, that's a faithful testimony. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is our victory. This brings us to our third point. A faithful testimony is centered upon Jesus Christ, verses 6 through 10. Notice here in verse 6, the name Jesus Christ. You see that name there, Jesus Christ? Years ago, years ago, I'll not even give you the guy's name because it's not worth mentioning. But there was a uh, person who really thought highly of himself, or still does, thinks highly of himself and, and considers himself to be uh, a, 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 uh, an intellectual. And he says, you can never find in the Bible the name Jesus Christ. You may find Jesus, you may find Christ, but you'll not find the term Jesus Christ. Is he right? <laughs> This title, Jesus Christ, just in John's epistle, just in John's epistle is given some ten times. Ten times in John's epistle. The name Jesus Christ, ten times. Depending on what translation you're reading, but ten times. Why would he mention the name Jesus Christ ten times? Do you recall when I started this series with you, I mentioned a heretical group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics, uh, they, they, they deny that Jesus, they deny that Jesus was both God and man. That he was one person but possessed both a divine and human nature. They, they denied that. So John uses the name Jesus, human, and the name Christ, divine, to counter the heretical position of the Gnostics. He wants, he wants his readers to know that Jesus Christ is the God-man. Jesus Christ is 100% divine, 100% deity, 100% humanity. Verse 6 speaks of Jesus Christ who came by water and blood. And again, he's refuting this Gnostic teaching. What does water and blood mean? It simply means it's that Jesus Christ came and he was baptized as a human because the Gnostics believed that the Christ, that the Christ entered Jesus at the time of his baptism. But John says, listen, Jesus Christ, 
was baptized. And then he says, Jesus Christ was crucified because he speaks of blood. Why is that significant? Because the Gnostics believed that at the time of his crucifixion, just prior to or at the time of his crucifixion, that the Christ of Jesus left. So it was just the human Jesus that died, but not the divine Christ. The human Jesus, but not the divine Christ. And John says, listen, he came by water and blood. It's the same, the same Jesus Christ who was both baptized and crucified. Not, not two people, not, not one spiritual person indwelling in a, a human person, but Jesus Christ is the God-man, 100% human, 100% divine. Please understand that the doctrinal position concerning what we're dealing with is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, came, was born of a virgin, possessed a human body, but he also possessed what? A divine nature. He had a human and divine nature. This is absolutely crucial. This doctrine of the incarnation, folks, is absolutely crucial in Christian doctrine. Jesus Christ is a central person and theme of the entire Bible. In fact, He is the sum and substance of God's full revelation of Himself in the person of one, of one individual named Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus Himself states in John 14, 9, He says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And in John 10, 30, Jesus says, I, listen, I and the Father are one. Jesus is a full disclosure of who God is because He is God. Listen, a faithful testimony that is centered on Christ will be used by God to bring a person to faith, a faith, a faith encounter with Jesus Christ. Verses 9 and 10, we see that in Christ only do we have the assurance of a faith that saves. In verse 9, we have the testimony of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. And in verse 10, we have the testimony that gives us full assurance that in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Listen to what verse 10 says. In this is love. Not that, I'm sorry, I got the wrong passage here. The one who believes, I need my eyes checked. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony, listen, has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. Do you see where it says, the one who does not believe God has made him to be what? A liar. Do you understand what, a, what an unconverted person is saying? That God is a liar. If you say that God's word is invalid, if you say that God's word is obsolete, if you say that God's word is tertiary or takes third place, it should have no place with us. Listen, if you say any of those things, you're saying that God is a liar. How would it be possible to walk out of this room today knowing that you may not be converted and walk out of here and you walk out with this principle in your mind that God tells lies? If this is the Word of God, 
and God does not lie, then we should then we should be obedient and observe what God says that we need to do. What does God say we need to do? We need to put our trust into Jesus Christ. That is God's testimony. That we are to put our faith, our trust. The Greek word for faith is pistis. We are to put that faith, that trust into Jesus Christ, His Son. Not just believe that He is God, but completely yield ourselves to Him, repent of our sin, that because when we sin, we rob God of the glory that's due Him. But we're to repent of that, that we've robbed God, and we're to say, Jesus, I want you to be the perfect Messiah who has, who has come to this earth, this earth, has lived a perfect sinless life, has, has, never, has never violated any of God's commands, has done all that God has required, you put your trust in Him. You just put your trust in Him, that He is my hope. He's a guarantee of my eternal destiny. If you do not do that today, you walk out of here today without Christ in your heart, then you're saying, what God says is a lie. Therefore, he is a liar. A faithful testimony that centers on Christ will be from a person. Listen, a faithful testimony that centers on Jesus Christ will be from the person who bears the blessings of. Let me give you some blessings that you, that you receive by putting your trust in Christ. A grace that conquers sin. A pardon that frees from guilt. A sanctification that brings spiritual maturity. A perseverance that leads to victory. A wisdom that flows out from the Word of God. Those are the blessings that God will give you because you've put your trust into Jesus Christ. I have a fourth point. A faithful testimony is the key to our destiny. A faithful testimony is a key to our destiny. Look at the text in verse 11. And the testimony is this. Listen, the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And that life is where? It is in His Son. Who is His Son? Jesus Christ. Folks, this is not some simple commitment based on our ability. I hear people all the time say, well, I, I, I did this. I chose. I yielded. I, 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 I. You know what the middle, word of, the middle letter of sin is? I. Forget I. Forget it. God, listen, God drew you to himself. It is God's Word that is preached that draws a person to Jesus Christ. It's not something you just think of. It's the, the, some of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard is a person says, well, I don't want to become a Christian. I think I'll wait until I'm older, until I'm about ready to die, and then on my deathbed, I'll accept Jesus. What a foolhardy statement to make. Who says that God will give you that opportunity? That you're going to sit and tell God the time, the time schedules of how God's going to act, and you'll react to how God acts? I'm sorry. It doesn't work like that. While we run from God, while we are dead in our trespasses and sins, 
While, while we are enemies and hostile to, toward God and His Word, listen, God pursues us. Let me, I'm not even going to charge you for this one and give you this. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to just turn it, you go to verse 4. The first two words of verse 4 says, but God, but God loved us. But God, in verse 5, made us alive. But God, in verse 6, raised us up. But God, in verse 6, seated us in heavenly places. God did that. I didn't do that. I cannot do that. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. But God pursued me with his love. God raised me up. God made me alive. God seated me with him. God did that. And how did he do that? Romans 10, 17 says, by the preaching of God's word, by the preaching of his word, that, that faith is administered to me, and I'm able to, in faith, the faith that God has given me, I'm able to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. There is human responsibility there. I am responsible. When I hear the word of God, I am responsible, and you are responsible to act on the Word of God as it is preached to you. When you hear the Word of God, I'm not talking about preaching the yellow pages or the telephone book. I'm not talking about, talking, I'm not talking about preaching Marvel comics. I'm talking about preaching the Word of God in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. That's what we're to do. That's how people come to faith. It isn't because we've got a pretty church or because we've got all kinds of events or this program and that program. It's because the Word of God is being preached. People come to faith when they hear the Word of God. A faithful testimony is the key to our destiny. But that destiny, that faithful testimony is based upon God's own testimony. And that is that we in Christ, that we have in Christ eternal life. When Jesus Christ took to himself something which by nature, which by nature he had nothing in common with, that Christ had nothing in common with our human nature, but he willingly condescended to become like us. Did he have to do that? Did he want to do that? And why did he want to do that? Because God loves his people. He took upon himself a human nature, and according to Philippians 2, 7, 8, listen to what it says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being found in the appearances of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, my friends, Listen. We have an eternal destiny only by the fact that Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross. And at the same time, he bore his Father's wrath towards sin. All in our place. The Greek word for our place is huper. He, he did this in our place. Huper. The great Greek, the, one of the greatest Greek words there is huper on our behalf. In our place, in our stead. Huper. In our place. His death should be our death. His punishment, our punishment. 
His being forsaken by God, our being forsaken by God. But he did that in our place. So that instead of being forsaken by God, we can be accepted by God. Reconciled and restored to him. He was buried. He died. He was buried on the third day. He arose again from the dead. Oh, folks, that's destiny. That's victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just, just allowing us to be here today, Lord. It's by your grace that we're here. Father, it's, it's by your pardoning us that we are brought to your side. It's by your word that you draw us. Father, we're, we're so thankful for that. Now, Lord, if there's even a person, even one person here, Lord, that does not know you today, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your love would pursue that person. Bring them to yourself, Father. That as the angels of glory would celebrate, that we would celebrate with them. And that a soul has been brought to Jesus this day. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. My friend, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? And in that encounter, have you, do you have a testimony that tells of how Christ brought you into his kingdom? Is it a faithful one? Today, today, if you say, preacher, I come to understand that I need Jesus Christ in my life. I repent of my sin. I want you, I want you, Lord, to please enter my life. Be my Lord, my Savior from this day forward. This is the day to do it. It's a wonderful day.